Welcome to the Lead and Follow podcast. I'm your host, Sharna Fabiano, author of the book, Lead and Follow. And I'm pleased to bring you the latest research, insights, and educational techniques in the emerging field of followership to help you connect and collaborate better with the people around you, whether you're leading or following. Please do leave us a review in your favorite podcast app, and thanks so much for listening. Today, I'm very pleased to be speaking with Janice Shack Marquez. Janice began her 30-year career at the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C. as a research economist. Then she became a manager and then moved into the executive ranks. Over that time, she has devoted herself to learning how people communicate and has substantial experience coaching people who are just moving into new management and leadership roles to help them develop the skills both to manage themselves and also to manage up, down, and sideways with confidence. Since retiring from the Fed in 2015, Janice has taught and coached at George Washington University, the University of Maryland, and for several federal agencies. I am very much looking forward to hearing about this specialty she's developed coaching new managers and helping them navigate their roles as both leaders and followers. So let's dive in. Janice, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm just absolutely thrilled that you invited me to be here. Wonderful. Me too. So I want to start by asking you to just briefly summarize your experience at the Federal Reserve, something that I don't know much about, and your transition from economist to management, how that experience has informed your work now. Sure. Thanks for asking. So I started my career as a research economist. I have a PhD, and I was doing research and publishing papers at a time when technology was very, very different than it is today. And so uh, we at the Federal Reserve, which is the United States Central Bank, were really thinking hard about how to improve our computing environment so we could really do great work and figure out what to do about the U.S. economy. Uh, And so I got very involved with the computer science professionals. And so after several years as a research economist, an opportunity came up to actually start managing that group of computer science professionals. I have to say my economist friends thought I was crazy (laughs) to give up a career as a research economist and move into this management thing, which I discovered I absolutely loved. Uh, And so because that's how I do things, I spent a lot of time trying to learn how to be a good manager. I took classes. I read a lot of books. I spent a lot of time in management. And so it gave me the opportunity as I moved up in my career to spend more and more of my time managing and less and less of my time doing, uh, you know, independent contributions. And so when I got promoted into the executive ranks, my job was actually to support the rest of the leadership and management team. And all new executives um, got a job description from their boss. My boss was the director of our division. And his first performance objective that he wrote down for me was that my job was to provide him with advice and guidance about how he should lead the division. Wow. It was terrifying. Here's my boss, who's like five levels above me, and I'm supposed to be giving him feedback. So uh, what a fabulous opportunity this was, A, that he trusted me, and B, uh, that he actually came and asked me for feedback on a really regular basis. So I ended up spending a lot of time trying to figure out, like, how do I give feedback, especially to people who are above me, uh, because that's really hard and fraught. 
at a lot of levels. And so I, I that's what actually led me to ultimately, ultimately get myself certified as an executive coach. Uh, and so I spent a good part of my career coaching and guiding people around me. I think this is such an amazing story, Janice, that as you found yourself in an executive role, your first job assignment was, in fact, to give feedback to your own boss. Now, that's probably not something many of us would guess. But at the same time, it really intrigues me because it calls into question a lot of assumptions about the role of an employee with a supervisor or You know, if we think of reporting to someone as a following role or a supporting role, it calls into question, what is support, actually? Maybe support can actually look like feedback. And so I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about this experience you had and what you learned during those years. Yeah, so I, I think your, your your point is a really important one, and that was that it, first of all, required a tremendous amount of confidence and trust on the part of my boss to come to me, somebody much junior to him, and ask me to be giving him feedback. For sure. What I also learned is that as you move up in an organization, the opportunity to get feedback on your performance grows smaller and smaller and smaller with every promotion that you have. And so he was the top of the organizational chart. There really wasn't anybody above him. So how was he going to find out how he was doing? And so I was really lucky that he was uh, willing to come to me and ask me to do this. And so we would be in a meeting together. And after the meeting, he would come to my office and he would ask me, okay, how did I do? What could I have done better? And it was crazy at the beginning and also really wonderful. And I think he taught me that I had a very powerful role uh, that I could play in helping him be better at his job. So, you know, now, many years later, I know that I'll call that followership. Then I just knew that was the thing <laughs> I was supposed to be doing. And <laughs> and I loved doing it. Yeah, you know, I really, really enjoyed that. And other people who were fairly senior then started to trust me to to do that as well. And so, you know, at the time, it was often referred to as, you know, Janice is one of those people who will speak truth to power. I didn't see it that way. I saw it as a way to help them be better at their job and to, you know, gave me the chance to teach my boss to be the kind of boss I wanted to have by giving him positive reinforcement when he did things that I thought were terrific and <laughs> discouraging from him from doing things that were not. That is such an important insight you're sharing that the higher up you get, the harder it is to get feedback because it just reminds me that we always need feedback no matter what our position. We need feedback on our performance, on our ideas. We need that dialogue and that external reflection that we can't do by ourselves. And it's, it's really easy to forget that. I also see that this possibility of getting the feedback from one's own followers or from those in supporting roles can potentially be a very practical strategy as well as being just a wonderful way of thinking about support and defining support. And I think it requires a lot of courage on the part of a leader totally, uh, to totally. be open to, I mean, it's one thing for a leader to say, I have an open door policy. That's a very common thing for leaders to, to do. It's in the manual. You're supposed mm-hmm. to have an open door <laughs> policy. And then is the question of, 
you know, yes, your door is open. And then are you actually interested in hearing what people have to say? And that's a lot harder for folks to do. You know, one of the things that I find when I work with leaders is that they're often confused about the fact that they're both leaders and followers at the same time. And so, yes, I was a follower to my boss, and then I had many people who were reporting to me. And so I had to exercise leadership and exercise followership at the same moment. And I had to figure out, for me, how to have the courage to be able to stand there and have the people who report to me come and tell me ways in which I could be more effective in my role and ways in which I was getting in my own way, which was a challenge and which I loved. Absolutely. And I, th- I think that's just such a huge key, this idea that we are always both doing the actions of leading and following, or that if we do take that on to always be able to lead and follow that generally our relationships get better and generally we our performance Im- improves and this seems to be kind of a specialty of yours you know you'd mentioned you work with new managers or those who are kind of apprehensive about taking on that new <laughs> leadership role and it almost seems like this insight of yours this being able to you know lead at times and and follow at times whether it's positional or just functional is a big part of that yeah. And I mean, it's, it's important to remember that I lived through this, right? So I, you know, I became mm-hmm. a new manager and thought, wow, this is amazingly hard and really <laughs> energizing. And I loved it. And for me, the hardest transition was when I moved out of my management role and into what's called a leadership role or an executive role, where I had people reporting to me that, but I didn't have lots of direct reports and day-to-day responsibilities, that was really uh, an existential crisis of, you know, like, what is my job? What do I do? What is my role? How do I contribute? And so mm-hmm. that really forced me to kind of think about who am I leading? Who am I managing? What What is this thing that I'm trying to do? And that was part, you know, and it was at that moment that I started supporting the rest of the leadership and management team. And so it gave me the chance to really think about how do I help people get clear about what is their role? And one of the things that was really interesting is that when you ask most managers, what is your team? You know, what team are you on? They'll report their boss, themselves, and the people who report to them. And that's mm. the team. It's like their little local team, their nuclear family, when in, in yeah, fact, they're on this much bigger team of the whole organization and all of the people. And so that really got me thinking hard about, we have to not just manage our boss and the people below us, but we have to manage like the organization that we're in. And so Then this idea of giving feedback and supporting other people, it's not just up and down, but it's actually like sideways and diagonally. And so, you know, when I love it. Yeah. So when I talk about giving feedback, I will tell, you know, and now when I'm teaching, I'll tell people the only people to whom you need to give feedback are the people who you report to, the people who report to you and the people with whom you work. Which pretty much ends up being everybody. (laughs) Everybody. And that's kind of the point is that, you know, we can help each other be better at what we do um, if we can see it, as you talked about it, as a way of supporting each other, not fixing each other. You know, as I'm listening to you describe this way of connecting and supporting one another, 
up, down, sideways, diagonal. I'm starting to have this image in my mind of the organization as a kind of matrix or maybe a beehive rather than just as a collection of vertical lines as we might see them in a hierarchical org chart. Of course, the org chart is important too, and we need that. But this other way of moving out in all directions to offer support and receive support, it just strikes me as a way to build a stronger fabric of working together. Absolutely. And, you know, that's how we get work done is, you know, sometimes when you're thinking about to whom do I delegate this job, it should be somebody who's somewhere else in the organization for whom it's a great opportunity, whereas maybe it's not for you. And if you aren't connecting yourself to the rest of the organization, how on earth would you know who to go to? Great point. And again, so practical. Going back to your excellent reframe about the whole organization being my team, not just who's above and below me, I can definitely see how just having that perspective could almost naturally start to increase efficiency, right, in many, many small ways, probably increase the quality of the work, increase employee satisfaction, you know, all the good stuff that we're all after all the time. I'd like to ask you now about another expertise of yours that I think may build nicely on this idea of support, especially multi-directional support. You are certified in something called Fierce Conversations. Could you first just share with listeners what that is for those who mm-hmm. might not be familiar with it? Sure. So Fierce Conversations is a it's a book. It started out as a book by a woman by the name of Susan Scott, and it's a one of the I don't know, 500 books I read when I was uh, getting certified as a coach. (laughs) Uh, And when I read the book, it just called out to me because I work in an organization where people are just very respectful of each other and very kind and careful to a fault. And so it in some ways leads to people being somewhat conflict avoidant. Uh, People want to sort of tiptoe around things that are uncomfortable or difficult. And that wasn't just in my organization, but I think that's worldwide. Mm -hmm. And uh, Susan Scott's view of fierce conversations, and she's, uh, the term fierce is fierce in the sense of like fierce loyalty. So it's all about how do you have those really important conversations that are going to matter in a way that are going to build your relationship with the other person rather than break it down. Beautiful. You know, my experience is that if you're a sort of conflict avoidant person and you have a problem with another person and you want them to fix it, you'll wait until you get extraordinarily frustrated and then you'll blow up and you'll say, Sharna, you have this problem and you need to fix it. Get on that right away. I've got to go. And that's not a conversation. That's a, as she would say, it's a versation because it's not with the other person. It's at the other person. And so I love this idea of how do I have a confrontation with someone? And again, she loves, she uses the, you know, the con at the beginning of conversation, meaning with, and the con at the beginning of confront also meaning with. So a confrontation conversation rather than being head to head or toe to toe or armed and armored is about being with the other person in front of the issue that you're facing. And so then it becomes, how do I talk with this person about this challenge that we are having together in a way that will sort of help them see that there may be something for them to gain? 
by changing what they're doing and give me an opportunity to learn what I'm doing in it. So I loved that book and I loved that whole model. So I decided to go get certified so that I could teach it to the 35 people who were in my leadership and management team. And I did that and then it kind of caught on. And then I just started teaching it across the organization and ended up having about 1,200 people come through this class. And it was great, great (laughs) fun um, because, you know, they're life skills. Like, how do I have a good conversation with someone and maintain my composure and do it with grace and kindness? Absolutely. And I'm going to put that book in the show notes. I know I'm definitely going to read it next week as soon as I finish editing this podcast. I really love the definition of confrontation you shared to be with someone in front of an issue. That's so useful and powerful. Yeah. And also just the idea of showing up with fierce loyalty, committing to a relationship, especially when it's hard. That resonates with me in terms of followership very much. I'm wondering after doing all of those trainings with hundreds and hundreds of people, What kinds of things did you see happen in your organization? I mean, conflict avoidance must be something we just all experience. (laughs) To be present with conflict is a real skill, as you have said. It's like a Jedi skill. So I'm curious whether you noticed any particular shifts or changes as a result of doing this work. So I did. And it was really thrilling because I, all the way through my career, I was never in, I, I, my job was not in human resources as a trainer. My job, I had a business role. And so I was in my business role. And then I did this because I loved it and was able to convince my division to give me space to do this training across the organization. So I would find myself in meetings with people in other parts of the organization, and I would hear them using the terminology that came from Fierce Conversations, and, oh, it was personally thrilling, and then also really encouraging that people were really learning a way to have these conversations more productively with each other. And so, yeah, it was just wonderful. And, you know, it's this, some of it is learning how to, all of it is learning how to keep yourself in balance through that conversation because the other person is entitled to do whatever it is that they want to do in the conversation, behave badly, get upset, you know, cry, whatever it is that they choose to do. And then the the question is, what are you going to do with yourself and your part of the behavior? And I just really love that to be able to see people dealing with conflict with grace and confidence. And it was really lovely. You know, as I'm hearing you speak about conversations, it occurs to me that any really good conversation is inherently a kind of fluid leading and following experience, Mm -hmm. where on the one hand, you need to be able to hear what that other Mm -hmm. person is saying with all of the grace and internal composure you're referring to. And at the same time, you need to be able to speak what you see as true and in service of the common goal or the project or what have you. So I don't know, it almost seems like that maybe by doing the work of fierce conversations, it's almost like another way of introducing this idea of being able to switch roles, so to speak, between leading and following in any relationship you may have, you know, at work or anywhere else. I don't know. What do you think about that? 
Oh, I think you've hit the nail on the head. And, you know, it's about how can I be persuasive, which is what followership is all about. How can I be persuasive to the other person in the conversation? And, and, and I mean, it's one of my very early learnings in this was at my very first management meeting that I attended after I became a manager. And uh, my boss was sitting in the room and one of the other executives in the room, uh, this was, I'm managing the computer science professionals. He was very unhappy with something that had happened, which was 100% his doing. And uh, he chose in that venue to attack my staff. And I got very defensive of them because I felt like that was my job, was to have the backs of my people. And so I defended them, I thought, very boldly and with great confidence. And uh, and then we moved on in the conversation. And after the meeting, my boss pulled me aside and he said, you know, I love that you were defending your group and that you had their back. And uh, I wonder how persuasive that really was and how it might have been different had you simply been willing to listen to what he had to say and that might have put you in a more powerful position. And so you may want to think about it. So I will admit I went home and thought, oh my God, I'm going to be fired from my job because I can't even listen to people. I'm a horrible human being. And I was very sad. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, I started trying to figure out like, where do I learn about how to be a better listener? And so I actually went and took a course on effective listening, which turned out to be profoundly interesting because it was, as you said, about how to position yourself in the conversation to really be able to support the other person, influence the other person, and maintain yourself all at the same time. Right. So, yeah, that, that was a real early piece for me in moving me towards this, um, this body of work is, uh, you know, the importance of listening, which sounds on the surface like, you're being subordinate to the other person because you're letting them speak and then realizing that by really listening, I have all the power or a lot of power in that conversation. And it, it was a really big learning opportunity for me, a real gift. I think that's another really profound insight that, you know, I think when, when we hear that word listening, at least, you know, for me for a, for a while, you know, the image I have in my head is like a you know, a friendly conversation and one person is speaking, the other person is listening, right? But really what you're talking about is listen when it's hard. Yes. You know, like listen when someone's upset or disagreeing with yeah. you or maybe even like out of line in a certain way. Yeah. Can you listen yeah. then? Yeah. Right. That is powerful. Yeah. And I think for my mind, the way to do that is often when we listen, we're listening uh, to win. We're listening to figure out the next smart thing to say so that we can sound like we know what we're talking about. And this is really about listening to learn from the other person. So I can listen to somebody with whom I vehemently disagree. And by listening to them, I'm not approving of their statements, advocating anything. I'm simply learning where they're coming from. And then I get to ask them some interesting questions. And so I will often, you know, somebody will say, uh, you know, say right. something and I will 
come back and say like, wow, that is so different from anything that I ever thought about. Can you tell me more about that? Which is a way for me to prevent myself from saying, are you kidding me? Which is often my instinct, uh, just to really help me understand where you're coming from. And then I get to learn something and then I get to decide what I want to do with what I've learned. Yeah. And I think that's so important to remember when we talk about switching roles or, you know, being a follower or supporter is like, it is a powerful position, you know, because of what you're saying, because it gives us more information because it changes then how we respond. It allows us to be more persuasive. It allows us to be more effective, right, in our communication. Yes. And it's insanely hard. Very hard. You know, it's yes. important. It's important to point, you know, if, if they're talking about something that to which you're not very connected or, you know, you feel very passionately, yeah, it's fine. Like, oh, this is very interesting. I'm learning all kinds of new things. <laughs> if it's something that you feel really, really strongly about, for example, if it's somebody giving me feedback about something that I have done that they didn't like, that's very, it's much more difficult for me to, for anybody to stay in a place of curiosity and openness and being, you know, interested in learning what's happening. And that's where it's amazingly powerful. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a lifelong practice for me. You know, I think there's sort of no, no end to that. I want to uh, just ask you now about, because now you're teaching, you, you do a lot of teaching now, and having worked with you know, those the sort of niche new managers on um, these kinds of skills, how does that inform your teaching? So most of the teaching that I'm doing at this point is for uh, graduate students who are working on master's degrees in policy analysis and other fields. And so these are, for the most part, uh, people who are relatively early in their careers. Um, a few of them may be moving into new management roles. Most of them are not yet in management roles. And so I focus in those classes on the the incredibly influential role that they can play as a courageous follower uh and i i do think it's helpful when we're coaching and teaching people to help them understand what's in it for them mm -hmm. and so yes it's wonderful to support your boss and give your boss feedback and <laughs> it's really great for you personally um to teach your boss to be the kind of boss you actually want to have. And that's, you know, there's a very personal value in having the courage to step up and give your, your boss some feedback and really help them understand what is working and what is not. And if you can give them feedback from a, a place of really caring about them uh, and saying like, hey, boss, I really want you to be the most effective leader you could possibly be. And this is just this one little thing that is getting in the way of that. Uh, that is, you know, it it's given in, in the sense of a gift rather mm -hmm. than as a club over the head. <laughs> and uh, this is something that I, I think my students really enjoy hearing about is how can they manage themselves more effectively in their jobs? And then also that when you build these skills of how to communicate effectively with other people, when it's time to step 
uh, and apply for a management position, they're going to have demonstrated those kinds of capacities, and maybe their colleagues won't have been able to do it as effectively. So, you know, these are the sort of, their, and their life skills, even if you never become a manager, being able to communicate effectively with other people is useful 100% of the time. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if there are particular challenges that you're noticing, you, you know, your students are are facing right now with, I mean, you said it was a little bit like of a relief for them to hear like, oh, you know, this is a way I can kind of train my my future supervisor to be the kind of manager I want. What else do they struggle with in kind of absorbing this idea of being kind of both a leader and a follower? So that's a really good question because, um, you know, it's funny uh, if I, because I, I, I always do at least one or two classes on, on following and managing up because I think mm-hmm. that's really a, a crucial thing that we do. And so I will often start my class by asking, you know, when you were little kids and you were mm-hmm. asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? How many of you said, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a follower? <laughs> and the whole room laughs because, of course, right. nobody ever did that. And so then we try to, we talk about like, well, why is that? Uh, because the only thing you need in order to be a leader is some people who are willing to follow you. So what the heck? Like, who's going to be the <laughs> follower? And uh, I think that helping them reframe the idea of a follower from being somebody who is subordinate to being somebody who's a partner to their leader who mm-hmm. whose mission is to make their leader effective for the purpose of accomplishing the mission of the organization not so that they can um you know make their leader be you know get a big raise it's to accomplish the work of the organization and i think that when they're able to see that frame that their job and their leader's job is to accomplish whatever the organization's mission is then it feels less personal and more like, yeah, obviously I should do that because that's part of my job. And so helping them understand that just being an effective follower is just part of their job. I mean, it was part of my job all the time. I was leading, I was following, other people were leading me and following me, and I was led by my followers, and we all led each other around in circles, and it was wonderful uh, that we all need to be able to flex into these different roles and and think about it that way. Yeah, beautiful. I'm reminded, of course, of Ira Chalef's model, which I know you and I are both fans of. He has this circular symbol of leaders and followers, each in their own orbit, so to speak, but both revolving around the mission of the organization. I'll put his book in the show notes as well. That's Ira Chalef, The Courageous Follower. But now I want to ask you maybe a difficult question, Janice. I'm I'm curious, because of all that you've witnessed over the years and all of the work that you've done in this area, what happens when it goes wrong? I mean, what happens when people aren't able to listen well to each other or persuade their supervisor or give that important piece of feedback? I mean, like, what are the stakes here? What are the potential losses when we don't have these skills? So I think that's a really important question. And I, I, I think I would love to answer it in both directions. So I think that a man, a leader who is not able to create an environment where her followers are able to come to her and 
say things honestly to her uh, is going to lose the confidence of her followers. And, you know, the research very, very consistently shows that people do not quit jobs, they quit bosses. Mm. And that it's crucial if you're going to be effective as a leader that you create an environment that followers want to be in. absolutely. And I think the, the obverse of that is that if you're a follower and you see something that is fundamentally wrong and you don't have the courage to speak up about it, it is going to create a tremendous amount of dissonance for you and make you probably utterly miserable in your job. Um, And I think that's the reason that people leave is that they see, I'm afraid to talk to my boss about this because my boss is scary. Uh, There's going to be retribution. And so people leave and they look for organizations where they will be welcomed and where they can do that. And so I think that if we were to look at employee engagement data, what you would see is that the organizations that really engage their employees or organizations where the leadership team is open to this kind of feedback and creates an environment where it is a two-way conversation everywhere. Like it's an organizational conversation, not a a top-down conversation. And I think that has become is becoming more and more true in the wake of the Me Too movement and and after George Floyd's murder and the, you know, thank goodness, the elevation of the whole issue of Black Lives Matter. I think that uh, we now need to be able to work in places where we can talk about the things that are important. And I think that's going to, that's going to get only more, not less. And so being able to create an environment where everybody's able to talk honestly with each other is going to be critical. It really is. You know, I think what you're saying is just so urgent, and it it even inspires me more to pursue this kind of work, whether you call it leading and following or something else, work that encourages people to think of their relationships as reciprocal, to think of what they do at work together yes. as a reciprocal process, and to think of themselves as not only able, but somehow tasked or responsible. (laughs) Responsible. Thank you for supporting one another in all directions. It seems like the only option, you know, now, I mean, you know, the, this sort of engagement uh, attrition statistics are kind of off the charts, right? And there's nothing else that's really moving the dial. And I think that when we start really digging into the data about what's happening as the pandemic thank goodness, begins to wane. Uh, And what they're now talking in the news about the great resignation of all these people leaving jobs. I think that what you're going to see is that people are leaving those jobs where they feel they do not have space to be courageous followers. They're just not even invited in to the discussion. And I think people don't want to do that anymore. Well, Janice, this has been an absolute pleasure. And just before we wrap up here, I want to ask you if there's anything you'd like to leave listeners with in the way of maybe a starting point in how to think of leading and following in in their work environment, wherever they might be. 
you know, I think so many of us get fixated on this idea that we have to fix other people. You know, it, that other person has this behavior that I don't like, and if they could just fix their behavior, everything would be better. Right, and, uh, and difficult people. Exactly. <laughs> and that in reality, the only person whose behavior you can change is your own. You know, it's disappointing that we can't change other people's (laughs) behavior. And it's true. And I think the sooner we recognize that and just accept that, then we can start thinking about, okay, since I can't change anybody else's behavior, what can I change in me to create that openness that gives me at least a fighting chance to have a good conversation with this other person? And how do I invite them in, uh, in an effort to help them understand what the world looks like from my view. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, that, that that's the outcome that we all want. Absolutely. Very well said. And it's a great starting point. Really powerful. Even if I think I only did that for the next week, you know, I'd already be a kind of a more compassionate presence. You know, building your interest in what's happening for other people and listening to learn. I think if we can just go into every conversation wondering what new fascinating thing we can learn from the other person, the world will feel like a better place. I really could not agree more. And I want to thank you for putting it into words with such eloquence and such precision. You're just a wonderful guide and Thank you again so much for sharing your insights and your experience with us here today. And thank you so much for having me. This was just a tremendous amount of fun and really, really interesting. You have been listening to the Lead and Follow podcast. Special thanks to Glover Gill for composing our music. And thank you to all of our subscribers. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show with a paid subscription. And if your team or organization is interested in followership training, please reach out anytime. I'd love to help.